Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 46 of Kingston's and Nylon, presented by Tabby's.com, the best Delta edible on the market. I'm Wally Lukashensky, and I'm joined as always today by my good friends and co-hosts, Casey Mock and Hayden Ramsey. Before we get into some bowl season talk and basketball discussions, let's say hello to the boys. Casey and Hayden, how are you guys doing today? I'm doing great, man. Five more days until five more work days until the uh, awesome Christmas holiday break. So really excited about that. This week's been kind of a long one, but I, I think that, you know, kind of has to do with there's nothing really to look forward to this weekend football wise. But yeah, doing great, man. We'll flip it over to you, Hayden. How are you doing today? You got to be excited just like Casey for your little bit of a teacher Christmas vacation coming up. Yeah, I am really excited for it. This week has actually flown by just with practice and everything going on this week. Every week, it seems like it's going by so quick. I can't believe we're already to the bowl season here almost. That's pretty crazy. But yeah, another another busy weekend for me. Doubleheader again Friday, Saturday. So back at it with some skins hoops. As always, we're pulling for your Arcadia boys there to win that game. And I guess both of those games this weekend. But as you guys are probably aware by now listening to this, we are now releasing our episodes on Friday or Thursday night, depending on when we get it out. We're moving back a day since football season's about to be over. We're going to one a week again, so you can catch us every Friday morning. And here in a couple weeks, we're actually going to be doing, right before Christmas, we're going to do our little bit of a bowl preview, or at least Big Ten bowl preview. Because luckily for us, there's not a Big Ten bowl game until after Christmas. So those nine games are jam-packed in the course of about a week span after Christmas. I don't think you could like schedule it any better than that. We get all these non-Big Ten games to kind of get us in the flow of things. And then right after Christmas, it's all missions go. But let's jump into our topics here. We're going to go over to you, Casey, first as always. Let's get a little update on your recruiting corner. There's actually been a little bit of news this week, so let's hear it from you. Yeah, it's actually been one of the uh, busier weeks that we've had in a long time. You know, that's kind of expected with the regular season ending and really with early signing period or early signing day less than a week away now. Probably going to see even more movement here in the next six days. But going down the list real quick, Iowa landed one of their highest recruits of all time. I can't really pronounce his last name. Hey, you might know because... Ohio State recruited this kid pretty heavily too, but it's Xavier Nwankpa. I I don't I have no clue. He's from Iowa, so he stayed home and is going to help out that Hawkeye defense. Maryland landed a three-star safety, Gavin Gibson from North Carolina. Nebraska landed a three-star cornerback, Malcolm Hartzog from Mississippi. This this next one was. Uh, it was kind of awesome. Maryland, or Maryland, Minnesota landed a uh, three-star interior offensive lineman from Wisconsin. His name is Ashton Beers. So with with a last name like that. I, why is I, he I'm, leaving Wisconsin? Right. I don't know why he's leaving Wisconsin, but I, I hope that man succeeds and, and makes a big name for himself. Nebraska also landed a, a three-star tight end, Brody, gosh, Tago, Tagola from California. Michigan landed a nice four-star safety, Zeke Berry from California. And then in 2023, Michigan landed a three-star receiver, Samaje Morgan 
from Michigan and a high four-star linebacker, Raylan Wilson, from Florida. Michigan also landed a high four-star offensive tackle, Andrew Gentry, from the 2020 class. And I, I didn't mess up there. That is correct. The 2020 class, he is not a transfer. The high four-star guy committed to Virginia and then went on a mission trip for two years. And then when Virginia fired Bracco Mendenhall, he ended up choosing Michigan instead. Really interesting story and a guy that I really didn't even hear of. But looking back on his 2020 ranking, he was a top 100 guy, 96 rated player. I mean, six foot eight, 310 pounds, offensive tackle. That's an outstanding sized guy there. So interested to see where he's at. Obviously, two years older than what you know regular freshman would be. So really interesting story there. And then probably one of the biggest. How how do I want to say it? Probably one of the bigger stories in recruiting is Ohio State's five-star commit, Sonny Styles, reclassified to the class of 2022. Ohio State fans might have a bad taste in their mouth with Quinn Ewers reclassifying and kind of messing that up. But this is a little bit different story, in my opinion. You know, obviously there are two safeties that, that normally play. And this kid, I mean, he could bulk up real fast and be an outside linebacker or really wherever they want him to play. So I wouldn't be too worried about this reclassification hurting Ohio State in any way. And he's still not going – he's going to get here in June from what – or the summer whenever I – from whatever I've heard from the guys down here so far. So that's a a big-time get for Ohio State. Initial thing, I just wanted to say real quick, on top of you spitfiring a few Michigan guys there, It just goes to show, again, how important the game is every year. The momentum that Michigan has had. I mean, they've had five guys now at least commit to Michigan here in the last few weeks. And not to say they didn't have any kind of momentum at all recruiting, but the difference these three weeks have made. I mean, you would have a better idea, but I don't feel like Michigan has had this kind of success or at least short period success in a long time. Yeah, I mean, it really varies, you know, right after everything kind of opened in again in 2021, early 2021, you saw a lot of teams have a bunch of commits. So it it just really varies. You know, it makes sense. You know, signing period is less than a week away, like I said. So a lot of these kids will probably sign in the early signing period. But, you know, speaking of momentum with Michigan, I I feel like they're kind of losing it with five-star offensive tackle Josh Connerly. And then Michigan also, I, I don't know if we're going to talk about this or not later, but they lost their director of player personnel, Courtney Morgan, to Washington. And Connerly is from Washington. So that'll be that'll be really interesting. Michigan had a lot of momentum after the Michigan-Washington game this past year with that kid, but he's not going to pull the trigger until February on the, the normal signing day. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see where they end up with him. Oh, I guess I should mention that there were no new basketball commits in the Big Ten either within the past week. Unacceptable. That's all right. It sounds like we got our our fill at least on football this week. Thank you as always for going to that recruiting corner there with Casey. Now we're going to go over here to Hayden again. Hayden, can you let us know what we missed this last week in Big Ten hoops and what we may be looking forward to this upcoming one? It's crazy basketball season. Just seems so much more up-tempo, fast-paced than what football is. It's like we're, we have games going on basically every single day. It's crazy. But starting with Sunday, Ohio State went to Happy Valley, 
won a pretty good game there on the road. Northwestern beat Maryland in the conference opener. Minnesota went on the road, beat Mississippi State in an out-of-conference game. That's pretty big for them. They're 7-0. and So I, I, we've been talking about them for a couple weeks now how we didn't have any positive things to say about them, but here they are, 7-0. and So that's, again, that's part of who they've played so far, but also I think we got to give some credit to them at this point in the season. Illinois beat Iowa, 87-83. Kofi had a big game, 17 points, 18 rebounds. Michigan just absolutely blasted Nebraska. Uh, I sat down and watched that game. They absolutely just torched them. And then last night on Wednesday, Ohio State beat Towson, which was actually a a closer game there for a while, especially in the first half, uh, until Ohio, Ohio State pulled away a little bit. Michigan State beat Minnesota on Wednesday to give them their first loss. So not undefeated, but still a respectable record at seven and one Penn state bounced back and beat Wagner just like they should. And then looking forward to tonight, Purdue plays at Rutgers, which I don't anticipate they'll really have much problem. Iowa goes to Iowa state for an in-state rival. That should actually be a really good game. Last I saw, I think Iowa was favored by a couple points on that one, which I, I was surprised by a little bit. And then this weekend, we have a pretty big slate and a couple good games, actually, that I think could be, be real big for the conference. Nebraska plays at Auburn. Wisconsin travels to Columbus. That's going to be a, a top 25 game in Columbus on Saturday. Penn State plays at Michigan State. Arizona is coming to Illinois, which I think that game could be really, really good, actually. I, I know Illinois, for some reason, isn't ranked right now, but that could be a very good game. And then Minnesota is going to Michigan, and we'll see we'll see where uh, Purdue is going to to land on that one because I I think Michigan might be turning the corner here after their, that game against Nebraska. Casey, let's go to you first. Do you have any? I guess first of all, let's focus on the week before, and then we'll get to the week ahead right after. Big takeaways. I mean, your Michigan Wolverines this week put the beat down on on Nebraska and Lincoln, and it's starting to feel, especially with. One of the McGowan's out. Nebraska's in a lot of trouble. But as a whole, what are we looking at here last week? What are you thinking about? Yeah, so this past week, the the one thing that really stood out to me were the, the really good wins that Big Ten teams had on the road this week. Northwestern beat Maryland, like Hayden said. Minnesota went to Mississippi State. Ohio State went to Penn State. Iowa went to – or Illinois went to Iowa and got a good win. So that was the first thing that stood out to me. Anytime you go on the road in the Big Ten, I feel like it's really, really tricky. And as we've kind of entered the first part of Big Ten play, it was kind of nice to or kind of nice and cool to see some Big Ten teams win on the road. More specifically, Michigan, they shot the lights out that game. They had a lot of a lot of dudes scoring. I caught the the second half of that game. That is the Michigan that I kind of expected. Like Hayden said, they might be turning the corner. They have a lot of depth. So we'll see. I, you know, they play Minnesota this this weekend. Don't really expect it to be that tight of a ball game. But again, like I said, you know, anytime you play a Big Ten team, you you can lose. You know, Michigan State went on the road and beat Minnesota, who was seven and zero. So just all around, the first thing that impressed me were, were the road wins by the Big Ten teams this week. Well, and we have. I'm glad that you brought up Michigan, looking a little bit more like we expected. Because Illinois is doing the same, where we went into the year with Purdue, Michigan, and Illinois kind of highlighted. That was going to be the three teams that we were looking at. 
We've seen one of them hit the ground running in Purdue. They got their first ever AP number one ranking this week, which is great for them. It's about time. It was kind of surprising. They'd never even had for one week in the past. So that got me a little confused. But Illinois, they're really starting to turn around too. I know that we mentioned a little bit there in the recap, Illinois beating Iowa. But I mean, in that game, he almost went 20-20. And Kofi Coburn, when he's playing like that, Illinois is a top 10 team. The fact that they aren't ranked right now really is amazing. I'm glad that you said that too, Hayden. But then here, a couple other things I, I wanted to touch on here. Johnny Davis in Wisconsin. I know that at least going into the year, we thought they were going to be a bubble team. I think that we can already say this is going to be a tournament team, and it's a large part due to Johnny Davis and what his contributions have been. Once we get into Big Ten, I know it's going to get a little tougher sailing. The waters get a little harder when you're constantly playing conference games but the way that he's looked so far I mean I'd probably take them I don't know what the line is in Columbus this weekend yet but I think I would take the Badgers outright you would take the Badgers outright I would personally I think the Badgers will win that game I mean I think you could definitely make an argument I think that Wisconsin is battle tested so far this year and to come out on that eight and one from that schedule is really, really impressive. And you're right, Wally. This is one of, one of those teams that I had on the bubble coming into the year, but they certainly look like a a threat in the Big Ten and a, a threat to a top five seed in, in the NCAA tournament the way they're playing right now. The last thing I'll say before I'm done with basketball and get everybody else's thoughts maybe on the games coming up, but Minnesota, I know that they, they kind of got handled by Michigan State. They were down by 20 in the second half of that game. They made it look close towards the end, but they really do have an opportunity to at least prove to the world that they're going to be a competitive team this year. Just compete with Michigan. That That's what your, your goal should be, is to look like you belong on the, the court as them, because Nebraska didn't do that. But if Minnesota can even hang around, who knows, maybe we were way too early to say that they were going to be a terrible team. Because, I mean, right now, I mean, that Mississippi State win to put them at 7-0, that's a big deal this early in the year for an inexperienced team with a new head coach. Yeah, the difficult thing about that is, Wally, is that it's at the Chrysler Center in Ann Arbor. Michigan is a completely different team when they play at home. So, unfortunately, you know, it would be really good for Minnesota if they hung around, but I, I really wouldn't be that surprised if they didn't. Looking to this week ahead here now, Hayden, is there a matchup, player, anything that you're particularly keeping focused on? Yeah, we've talked about a couple of them. I mean, the obvious one is the Wisconsin-Ohio State game just being a ranked game. That's just going to give whatever team wins uh, that leg up in the conference. The Arizona-Illinois, like I said, I think it's going to be fabulous. I think that's going to be a great game. And I would not be surprised if Illinois won that game uh, with it being at home and, and the way Kofi is playing. So those are those are really just the two games that are on my radar this weekend. Casey. Same for you. You're looking forward most to that Ohio State-Wisconsin matchup in Columbus, or are you looking elsewhere? You know, those two are obviously really big games, but I'll go to the one tonight, Iowa at Iowa State. Iowa State's a top seven or top 20 team in the country, and I really think that Iowa's a lot better than what maybe I expected them to be. I thought they'd be a tournament team, but I didn't think that they would be this good right now. So, yeah, I would say the Iowa-Iowa State game. And interestingly enough, you can go to this – Wisconsin-Ohio State game for $3. 
12 o'clock on Saturday. So that might be something that <laughs> I look into as I'm, you know, down here and don't have anything else to do on Saturday. You always love being the guy looking up ticket prices. You told us that a few episodes ago. I got to imagine it's got to be almost a theme in the Big Ten and college basketball as a whole going into Christmas break, right? What's that? Lower ticket prices? Yes, sir. Yeah, so in comparison, Michigan State, you can go to the Michigan State-Penn State game at Michigan State for $11. The Arizona-Illinois game is a little bit higher price. $68 is the lowest ticket. I, I, I mean, that's expected. You know, Arizona is a big-time college program, ranked number 11 in the country. But then the Michigan-Minnesota game, tickets for as low as $16. So now one thing to kind of factor into that is that Ohio State has the biggest arena in the Big Ten, seats almost 20,000. Whereas, you know, Michigan, that that only holds, I think, 11,000. Same with Michigan State's not as big as Ohio State's arena. So something to kind of consider as well. And not to go too much on a random tangent, but I like still to this day wish that the Buckeyes were playing in St. John. I understand with the momentum that they had in that like 05, 06, 07 range, why you would want to have a big stadium. But it's just for college basketball, when things aren't going right, you still want to have that kind of an environment. And even when they're good right now, that building's so big, it doesn't have that feel of a real intense college basketball arena. Yeah, and I know I've said this before, but I get it, it amazes me that Ohio State, that student section that they had to block off, that they put the, the black Ohio, like they put some logo on behind the seats in the student section because they can't fill it, I guess. I don't know. I just, I hate the way that looks. And I'm completely with you. I understand why they built such a big arena, but, you know, on a, dated like on a regular basketball game it doesn't it doesn't get filled at all Hayden are you good to go into some football talk now he's giving us the thumbs up folks let's talk about first of all the final college football playoff rankings before we go anywhere else Alabama number one Michigan two Georgia three and Cincinnati four which inevitably means Bama first UC is the first matchup and then Michigan and Georgia is going to be the nightcap. I want to just get your overall thoughts on this. The rankings, first of all, on these matchups. We'll break it down more, like I said, in our bowl special here in a few weeks. But just initial thoughts. Do you think that the committee got this like rankings one through four right? Or maybe not? I don't know if I would say that they got it right. But I think it was the most predictable ranking that they were going to give us, right? We knew that they weren't going to match Alabama and Georgia again. So there wasn't a lot of options for them to have any wiggle room, I guess. So I don't know. I, I won't say right, but I'll say it was the most predictable place that I thought that everybody would be ranked. Yeah, and that's probably fair from a stance of predictability. But I don't know. I just felt like Michigan had really earned that top spot. And one of these days, are we ever going to see the college football playoff committee actually force an immediate rematch because we saw last year Notre Dame and Clemson avoid each other this year Alabama and Georgia do will we ever see that back-to-back game I I think we should and if if you're looking to avoid that which they say when they do their rankings they're not it, it is so obvious that they that they are because the more I thought about it the more Michigan deserved to be number one in, in my opinion as well if you just break down the last two weeks of the season, Michigan had 
a way more impressive last two weeks of the season than what Alabama did. And for them to get jumped. So it, it, it would have been one thing if Alabama was two and Michigan was three. No, I, I would have been fine with Alabama being number one. But the fact that they jumped them after the SEC championship game really, really surprised me. I thought Michigan's last two weeks, and, and even further back than that, uh, were more impressive than what Alabama has done their last few weeks and really throughout the season. So I don't think that they got the rankings right. Like Hayden said, it was very predictable. You knew that they weren't going to match them up. I don't think that's right. I think that the the I forget the the guy's name, the commissioner for the rankings or whatever. The jacked up teeth guy. We talking yeah. about him? Yeah, yeah, the jack. Yeah. <laughs> But he said that that wasn't that that rematching right away was not something that was in their mind. You just got to think it is because, in my opinion, there's no other way as to why Michigan shouldn't have been one. You know, it's crazy because what we hate, like for the best part about sports, is it really is kind of just like an awesome own little culture and escape from the world. Yet you have it. It feels like politics get involved with this, where you feel like they're lying straight to your face. Like just tell me the truth and say, you don't want this matchup again. And at that point, why don't we just expand the playoffs already? And even that, we I know we hinted at last week. Hopefully that still is coming by 24. Who knows at this point? But let's switch gears now. We'll talk a little bit more about that game here in the coming weeks, like we said when we do our bowl special. But here now, we got a few other pieces here of football news. Oklahoma State defensive coordinator Jim Knowles goes from one OSU to another the Buckeyes hire him to become the new defensive coordinator. Hayden, we're going to go to you first now. 56 years old. Some people think age is a concern here. I'll let you go and sound off first, and then we'll go and get Casey my thoughts on this as well. Perfect. I think this is a great hire for Ohio State, actually. I'm not concerned about the age. In fact, the age actually kind of encourages me, I guess, because I think that this is the exact kind of person and track record that Ryan Day needs to run his defense. He cannot spend as much time as he did this past season and maybe even the 2019 season or no, the 2020 season in the defensive room worrying about that kind of stuff. It's, it's not his place. And he needs an experienced guy that he can give the keys to and run his own defense. So I think this is great. His track record, I mean, anytime that you can get, I mean, they were a great defense this year. Anytime that you can get a great defense in the Big 12, which hasn't played any defense since forever, is pretty impressive. And they are doing it with lesser athletes than what Ohio State has recruited, even if they've had some misses over the years on the defensive side of the ball. So I, I'm I'm really excited about this. I think this is exactly what Ryan Day needed. I think it's exactly what Ohio State needed. So now it's just about getting the ball rolling and get moving towards next season. Jim Knowles, good hire, or should we slow down, Casey? No, I I agree with what Hayden said. I think he is a good hire, and the, the age factor benefits Ohio State, in my opinion, because he's at that age where I you don't really know if he's going to leave that position to go be a head coach somewhere. And so that security of having him there for a long time could be really positive for him as a defense and in the recruiting as well. But, you know, Hayden, I I think you said this before, but, you know, you, you said that Ryan Day spent too much time in the defensive, the defensive side of the ball. 
this past year and the year before. Do you think that the offense suffered from that? I'm just confused as to why you think that it was an issue. I don't know if I would say the offense necessarily suffered. I think there were times where maybe the offense lacked a little bit of creativity, but I, I don't think that's because of Ryan Day being in the defensive room. I just think that's not his it's not his cup of tea. Why he he was hired because of what he did on the offensive side of the ball. So for him to be I, I get it, he's the head coach. Yes, it does come down to his responsibility to have a good defense, but at the same time, if he would have had a guy that he trusted over these last two years without Jeff Halfley, that, I mean, things would have just run much, much more smoothly, I think, and we would have seen better results on the field. That's all I meant by that. couple things here for my initial thought. First of all, Hayden and I were texting immediately when this happened. We both were really excited. We both kind of thought it was a home run hire. I think that you get this, the guy's from Philly. He went to Cornell. You get that blue-collar kind of background from him, but you also have a guy that's proven that he's willing to adjust and be okay saying, hey, things have to change in college football. We're going to change on the fly with that. The third down defense for Oklahoma State this last year was so much fun to watch in a very unique and new kind of style defense where the guys kind of sit at the sticks and man, where regardless of this distance, and that was kind of where they would pick up on their receivers. Like everything, offenses will catch up to it, but the fact that he was able to make those adjustments on the fly in this new age college football in a big 12 where defense was optional for 15 years. I, I, that's really encouraging. That's for me. I think the most, plus at that age too, you're right. He already, he coached head coach at his alma mater at Cornell for a little bit. Maybe he got his, what I guess the experience there where he feels like, you know what? Maybe defensive coordinators, very, or something I'm comfortable being the rest of my career. He doesn't need to go. Because at this point, you'd imagine if he is trying to become a head coach, he won't ever go to like that elite, elite school at his age. No, I, I think I agree with you, Wally. I was looking online while you were talking, and not that I think this is like a huge deal, but I think it does have an impact. A lot of uh, Oklahoma State players tweeted these last couple of days, just about how much they love playing for this guy. They say things like, you deserve everything and more. Thank you for teaching me. Coach Knowles is the man. Just, you know, things along that. I think I think that's a huge part of coaching anywhere, really, and, and getting your players to buy in and, like, having that mutual respect that these guys seem to have had for him, I think can, can play big dividends for Ohio State. So it'll be interest, interesting to see if he can – Get that same respect from the Ohio State players when he's there. We want to remind you guys that Pigskins and Nylon is brought to you by Tabbies.com, the best Delta 8 THC edible on the market. It's sugar-free, keto-friendly, gluten-free, heat-resistant, made of 100% pharmaceutical-grade ingredients with consistent dosing for the perfect edible experience. But hey, if you're not into Delta 8 THC, that's not a problem. Tabbies offers an option with no THC, while using the same proprietary drug delivery system to ensure that guaranteed dosage of CBD. Right now, Tabbies.com offers three flavors, galactic fruit, watermelon, and mint. Mint is my personal go-to, and it's perfect anytime you are feeling anxiety and stress running your life. As some of you may know, I've been battling depression and anxiety for a long time. Products like this really help me when I'm feeling overwhelmed. 
It's not a quick fix, but it really has helped me. And I'd recommend them to anybody, even if they weren't our sponsor. So please make sure you do follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Tabby's Co. That's Tabby's Co. spelled T-A-B-E-A-S-E-C-O to be the first to know when they drop. You can get any of these products at tabbees.com. And with the promo code BIG10, you can get 20% off your entire order and free shipping. Michigan State stayed active this last week, much like last year in the transfer portal, landing two linebackers and a running back as well. Mississippi State linebacker Aaron Brule, I think that's the right pronunciation. If I'm wrong, I apologize. He was actually kind of touted as a second or a third round NFL draft pick going into this last year. Had a down year, didn't look great, and that's part of the reason he's still going to be playing college football, transferring up to be a part of Mel Tucker's defense, as well as UNLV linebacker Jacoby Winman, who was all Mountain West last year. There's a lot of rumors coming out of East Lansing right now that Michigan State could be even switching from a 4-3 to a 3-4 next year, which you would imagine makes a lot of sense with all the linebacker talent they have and the lack of success they had last year. What do you guys make of this transfer portal attack? Michigan State seems like they've been ahead of the curve more than almost anybody else in the country this first few years with the new rules. Yeah, you know, I have I have very mixed feelings about attacking the transfer portal the way that Michigan State has. It just, you know, it's risky. It really is. You could really split your team if you bring in so many guys. Obviously, Mel Tucker did a great job of bringing in the right guys this past year. But as we've seen with, you know, Ohio State backed off of Eli Ricks, a five-star corner from the 2020 class, had a lot of interest in Ohio State but Ryan Day said that he was wanting to stick with the guys that he has and the recruit the recruits that he's bringing in so you know it's it's risky in my opinion but if you can duplicate the success that you had this year being Mel Tucker um you know find find a way to stay competitive yeah I think it's an interesting strategy and obviously it, it, it helped Michigan State this year with their improvement that they made it's just that fine line of like, you want to have like everybody except new transfers into the locker room and not like pushing that too far where people are like, what the hell's going on here, you know? So if, if Mel Tucker has found the right the right mix of transfers to recruits, then, then good on him. He might be onto something. I mean, we don't know the fallout long term of what this transfer portal is going to be yet. So for all we know, we could be looking back in five, ten years. It's that old expression. But if you don't get on board with history, it's going to run you over or whatever the expression is. That's kind of, he's getting ahead of this new wave. It'll be interesting to see if it pans out long term. But so far, so good for Mel Tucker and the Michigan State Spartans. And if I could say one more thing on that. So, you know, Mel Tucker's done a really good job of bringing guys in. But I also wanted to mention that Michigan State has lost seven guys to the transfer portal since September of this year. So, you know, while he is bringing in guys, he's also losing a bunch. And I think that that is the effect that bringing in guys will will have for you if you attack the transfer portal the way that he has. Scott Frost is making moves to potentially make his hot seat a little cooler. Three additional coaches that have been hired this last week, most notably Mark Whipple. He's going to be the new offensive coordinator after surprising a lot of people, at least in my neck of the woods, from stepping down over here at Pitt after what he's done with Kenny Pickett the last few years. 
but they also bring in Mickey Joseph, who was a former Nebraska quarterback. He's been the wide receiver coach for LSU for a few years, including that national championship year. He's going to be a solid recruiter for Nebraska. And then Dominic Rayola, he was a former center for the Badgers about 15 years ago. Played a little bit in the NFL, and he's actually been a part of the NFL as an assistant offensive line coach with the Chicago Bears this last few years. So Scott Frost is really attacking right now this the new openings, I guess, for the Nebraska football team. And it has a lot of people out there a little optimistic. Still don't have a special teams coach. And after last year, you'd imagine that will be a priority in the next few months, along with trying to get a quarterback now that Adrian Martinez is in the transfer portal himself. Are you encouraged, at least, with these Nebraska moves so far? Or, I mean, it's so hard to tell right now when you come off a three and nine year, but what are you guys thinking when you hear this stuff? I think the the Mark Whipple hire is absolutely outstanding for Nebraska, similar to what Jim Knowles is going to bring to Ohio State with the, with the defense. I think Mark Whipple has the same pedigree on offense. He, he led a team that traditionally is not very good on offense to an outstanding year. This year has a Heisman Trophy finalist quarterback. Maybe, you know, he can modernize Nebraska's offense a little bit. I know it's I know the first few years under Scott Frost, it was tricky at times to cover the triple option the the way that they ran. It was just really weird sometimes and they would get some big plays off of it, but it wasn't very consistently good in my opinion. And so maybe this guy can provide some stability for them on offense and and that also could explain why you know Adrian Martinez is in the portal because he didn't really see himself fitting in whatever Scott Frost and you know I don't, I don't they didn't hire Mark Whipple at the time but whatever Scott Frost had envisioned for the offense going forward I think you have to be encouraged making a lot of changes obviously you would think can only do good things that's what Michigan did this past year you know the t- the turnover can be really really good I don't think it can get much worse for Nebraska to be honest with you no, I think it's I think it's great. These are some good hires that Nebraska got, or that Scott Frost got, and Nebraska got, I guess. So interesting to see if Scott Frost can uh, turn the page here and, and start building something better at Nebraska. I'm gonna spit a few here for you guys, a couple topics, and then we can come back and talk about what we choose to at the end. But a few other things here in the Big Ten from a coaching perspective: Indiana hires Walt Bell former UMass head coach to be their new offensive coordinator, Nick Sherrigan being fired at the end of this season. Michael Penix Jr. also going into the portal. Kind of has the feeling that old Indiana is back. Then you go to Penn State. Anthony Poindexter remains there on the staff on the defensive side of the ball. It was initially rumored that he might be the next Virginia head coach, but ultimately decided to stay at Penn State instead of going to his alma mater. And then, of course, Josh Gaddis, who wins the Broyles Award for Nation's Best Assistant Coach. And right before we started recording, Hayden and Casey were telling me that even his name is now starting to get mixed around with Virginia a little bit for that head coaching position. So of those three things, key takeaways for you guys. Casey, we'll go to you first. Indiana had to hire somebody as the OC. Uh, I kind of feel bad for this Walt Bell guy because he's taken over a hot mess. So I don't really have too much to say on that. Anthony Poindexter remaining on the Penn State staff is really big. I think he's probably, I would assume he's going to step into the full-time defensive coordinator role now that Brett Pry had left. And I didn't realize that Virginia was his alma mater, too. That's that's kind of crazy that he had that job 
right in his lap and he and he turned it down. So that's very interesting. And then Gaddis, real quick, you know, I was surprised when he won this, but the more you think about it, it, it probably was well deserved. The first six games of the year, I thought their offense was very, very boring. Didn't really show any signs of creativity. But really what they were doing, they were just setting up everything for later in the year. And don't get me wrong, they were good those first six games too. But I was you know, very concerned about the passing game. It really paid off in the end of the year. And I think Josh Gaddis stuck with what Jim Harbaugh likes to do most, and that's running the ball down your throat while also mixing a, a good amount of creativity and, and getting some athletes in space. So really good year by Josh Gaddis. You know, I think a lot of people were wanting him fired before the year that were Michigan fans, and he really proved himself so far this year. If he does end up leaving for the job at Virginia, you know, congratulations to him. That's, that's a, a good program to take over for your first time being a head coach. Yeah, you kind of uh, stole some of my thunder here. My main thing I was going to say is that there's a lot of Michigan fans who owe Josh Gaddis a big apology because he was, I mean, people were coming at his neck, man. Like they, they wanted that dude to be gone exactly because of things that Casey was laid out, but he and the Michigan offense really turned it on and, you know, they, they matched the ball. They they mixed, mixed uh, some creative stuff when they needed to. And we're really successful. So, I mean, good on him. I just want to touch on one other thing, too, because Indiana, we built up so much going into this. Like, going into this year, coming off the 2020 season that they did have with Penix Jr. now transferring and, I mean, seemingly restarting all over, it feels, not to steal what Chase Claypool said last year about the Cleveland Browns, but it's like the Hoosers is the Hoosers. Like, we know what this team is. And, and a random year like that might be a blip every 10, 15 years, but it's just going to be a near impossible job to make Indiana even a relevant football team, the Big Ten East. Yeah, and with their struggles this year, man, they're really going to look back at it and I think really regret not playing uh, that McCauley kid more. He could have got some really valuable reps and been a lot further ahead with his game experience for you know later down the road had they put him in and not really messed up the, the whole system that they were doing after Penix Jr. got hurt. So, you know, kind of unfortunate for Indiana and Indiana fans. Talk about a team that needs to attack the transfer portal, try to find a quarterback potentially, because if Donovan McCulley goes down or if he doesn't pan out now, who's there? We saw this last year. How It's like a barren wasteland, that quarterback room in Indiana. Real quick, so I saw that somebody put it on this sheet that Spencer Rattler might be interested in going in Nebraska. I don't know who put that on there, but if, if they could expand on that, that, that would be a big-time get if Nebraska could land him. Yeah, I've read, a, I've read a bunch of things that people from Oklahoma are saying that it either sounds like he will go to the Pac-12 with like one of the Arizona schools, either Arizona or Arizona State, or he might be interested in going to Nebraska. And I, I put that on the sheet just because – Obviously, we don't know if it's going to happen, but if it does happen, I mean, that is like like one of the biggest gets that the Big Ten could get, you know, like a Big Ten school would get this offseason. So I put that on there just just to kind of bring up this conversation because that's like a real game changer for Nebraska. Well, and imagine this too. If he does go to Nebraska this year and does get that granted immediate eligibility, he's going to play Oklahoma 
in Lincoln next year. And all of a sudden, I think that Nebraska might be the better team the way everything is in flux right now with Oklahoma. And it'll at least make that game very, very intriguing from a fan perspective. Yeah, that would be actually pretty darn crazy. And, you know, Hayden, I completely agree with you. That would be one of the biggest splashes of any Big Ten team if they could they could pull that off. You know, he was he had a fantastic sophomore year. He was projected to be the number one pick in a few mock drafts before this year. He really wasn't playing all that bad up until the, the Texas and, and the game before Texas, too. So, yeah, that would be an outstanding get for Nebraska. Go Big Red. Now, I want to say one other thing, not on this, but we're, before we get into our bowls, I wanted to run it by you guys. Heisman finalists were announced this week, and we saw that there are actually four people that are going to be in appearance with one very notable exception. Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Aiden Hutchinson, and Kenny Pickett will be there as finalists for the Heisman Trophy. Who's not there, though? Kenneth Walker III. If you're going to introduce a fourth spot, why not just go back and make it five? It makes no sense, especially in a year like this, where Kenneth Walker III, you could make a case, should be there and if there were only three spots. And if not be there with four, I know that they lost that really brutal game to Ohio State, but that seems like a really harsh penalty on a kid that has very little to do with that game. Yeah, that Ohio State game absolutely killed his chances of, of winning and obviously being a Heisman finalist. But, you know, this was one of the more wide-open races that we've had in, in a long time. It seemed like nobody wanted to win it. But then Bryce Young obviously stepped up and, and won it against Georgia. And I think he's like minus 5,000 favorite or something like that. Something ridiculous. But along with Kenneth Walker, you know, I know, know he's not a Big Ten guy. But another guy that got snubbed was Will Anderson from Alabama. That dude is an absolute monster. He had like 15 and a half sacks and a ton of tackles for loss. So if there was ever a year where you could at least – get six guys there to get them at least recognized, even though we already know who is going to win it. it. It would have been this year, you would think. Yeah, I'm I'm not as overboard as you are with Kenneth Walker, but, you know, I, I think the four, we gave our lists last week, right? And we had to pick three and we were all we were like, ah, oh, well, it could go either way. Well, they just put four in because that's how they felt too. Uh, we didn't even talk about Kenneth Walker. So why are you so up in arms about him not being there when he wasn't even on your list, I don't think. I wouldn't be up in arms if it was three, but if you're going to add four, there should be five. And that's at least the way I look at it, where it should have just been that simple, where Kenneth Walker, first of all, Michigan State, there's no... If you're going to add five, might as well put it at six. <laughs> they're fine, yeah. Have a hundred if you want. Kenneth Walker the third earned a spot in New York, and the fact that he's not there to me, it bothers me. And I, especially after what Michigan State was last year, to walk in from Wake Forest and do what he did, Michigan State was, I mean, they were that close from at least being in at 11-1 or at least being in the conversation for a college football playoff. After what they've been, I just feel like he, he earned a spot and it disappoints me he's not there. All right, so then I'll ask you the difficult question. Who would you take off out of the top four and put Kenneth Walker in over? Well, that's why I said, first of all, if if it was three, I have no problem. But if I was taking someone off, it'd be Kenny Pickett. Dude had a monster year and won an ACC championship. He's a fake slide cheater. Exactly. Throw him out for the fake slide. 
No, but realistically, I just felt like that, first of all, with Clemson down this year, it's not their fault, but the ACC was actually very weak. The fact that you saw a Wake Forest team in the ACC title game to even begin with, when their defense might as well have been Michigan State's this year, I, I don't know why I, I have to be overwhelmed by what Kenny Pickett did. I think if I was taking somebody off the list, I would probably agree with Wally. I just I just think they got the four right. I really do. You know, Kenny Pickett, not only did he have an – I mean, he, he improved so much from last year. He threw 13 touchdowns last year, has 42 now this year, 67% completion percentage, 4,300 yards. So he can win most improved. Uh, do they even have that? They have. I don't know, but I feel like they should. Well, but I mean, you got to take into consideration too where Pitt was. I, you know, Pitt's not a powerhouse either. I'd say they're probably pretty comparable to Michigan State when you compare the two. So, you know, I think it's really impressive what he led his team to as well. It was. I, I don't want to make it sound like I think Kenny Pickett doesn't deserve his spot there. No, Wally, you saying Kenny Pickett sucks, and you know it. Bust. First round bust. Terrible. No, I'm serious. Like. If it was up to me, and I have had this, you won't believe me, but I've had this opinion forever that five is perfect for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. It's not like they're hurting for money to invite these kids out there. And I feel like it's just such an achievement for what these guys have done. Why not expand it a couple spots at least? Because the reason I think five is the number that's stuck in my head is that what do they always show you with the votes? They always show you top five. And that I, I just feel like it makes sense if you're going to Show us these guys in their names, because Kenneth Walker III will likely be the fifth-place vote-getter. Why not have him there, too? And now we'll get into our final little topic of the day. Just going to read out here the bowl games, get everybody's kind of initial reactions to this. And I'm going to read the full bowl name, with the exception of the, I guess, the marquee ones towards the end. Just because I don't know why. I feel like the ridiculous bowl names always get at least a little chuckle out of me anyways. But anyways, here we go. So on December 28th, which is awesome, like I said earlier, that we don't have to worry about Big Ten football until that stretch, and it's all jam-packed between there and January 1st. But our first one is the Guaranteed Rate Bowl. This is going to be on the 28th, played in Chase Field in Arizona. West Can West- I stop you for a second? Yeah. These these names of these bowl games are just getting ridiculous. The Guaranteed Rate Bowl? Are you kidding me? What is this? I mean, what was the one a few years ago? It was like the Sarsaparilla, like taxpayer mower bowl. It's just disgusting. I had to, re- I wanted to read that. Like, at least it's not the, like, I won't do like Rose Bowl presented by blank. Like the Rose Bowl presented by Vizio when they started that. It's the Rose Bowl. No one says that. But at least for the guaranteed rate bowl, I mean, you have to almost say that. What else would you call it? The rate bowl. <laughs> I'm just going to eliminate all the other. That, that's even better. So, yeah, in Chase Field here on the 28th, you have West Virginia is going to be playing the Minnesota Golden Gophers, who at least right now are a four-point favorite. Then you go into the New Era Pinstripe Bowl on the 29th. And that's at Yankee Stadium, which at least will be a cool venue for probably a pretty ugly game between Maryland and Virginia Tech. Maryland is a point favorite early. Here's another fun one here for you, Hayden. The Trans-Perfect Music City Bowl. In Nissan Stadium down in Tennessee. This one pissed me off. And it's part of the reason I put the actual locations on here to read as well. This is at Nashville. It's at. It's in Tennessee. And Purdue is playing a road game against the Volunteers of Tennessee. That is so not fair. And the fact that all the bowl games are in the southeast for the most part. 
it is such an unfair advantage to teams that are in the SEC, even the ACC in the Sun Belt, versus the Pac-12, versus the Big 12, and versus the Big 10. It bothers me. Yeah, I, I honestly didn't even know that that game was in Nashville. That is absolutely crazy and, and really seems unfair to Purdue for sure. It's a joke. Whatever. Anyways, here we're going to get uh, a couple more. We have the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. That's going to be at the Mercedes-Benz Dome in Atlanta. That's going to be, ironically, Pittsburgh versus Michigan State. And we're talking about Kenny Pickett versus Kenneth Walker III for a Heisman discussion. You'd imagine the way these two defenses are. Kenny Pickett might throw for 700 yards. The way these defenses are, you might see him throw for 700 yards versus Kenneth Walker III's 300 on the ground. It's going to be a high-scoring game. You'd imagine that over-under is going to be like mid to high 70s for that one. Then you have the SRS Distribution Las Vegas Bowl. Great name there, too, for you, Hayden. It's at Allegiant Stadium, the Death Star out there in Las Vegas, where Wisconsin plays Arizona State. And the last time those two teams played, I'm sure most of you guys remember, it was when Wisconsin had a chance to kick a field goal with 20 seconds left, and the refs, like, forgot to spot the ball. So they didn't, like, put it down in time, so the clock ran out on a chip shot that would have given Wisconsin the win. So that, you'd imagine, should be at least fun, and you'll see that replay 115 times during that bowl game. Then clearly the Orange Bowl, which is between Michigan and Georgia, will definitely be paying a ton of attention to that. During our bowl show, we'll probably put a majority of our time into that game. Then all on January 1st, you have the Outback Bowl, the VRBO Citrus Bowl, and the Rose Bowl. First matchup being Penn State, Arkansas, then Iowa, Kentucky, and then finishing it off with Utah versus Ohio State. I know that's a lot to take in all at once. Outside of the big ones, outside of the the playoff game, outside of the Rose Bowl, is there one of these games I guess you're most looking forward to? No. The three bowl games that I have written down that intrigue me are New Year's Six Bowl games and obviously the playoff game. So if Hayden wants to expand on that, he can go ahead. I mean, yeah, I... uh... I think that Outback Bowl is kind of going to be good. I, I think that could be an interesting game, depending on which Penn State offense shows up, if it's the one that can't literally do anything or the one that has Sean Clifford who can at least put up some points. That could be an interesting ball game. And then, yeah, that, that Pitt-Michigan State game, I'm for sure going to be checking into just because that game is going to be like 45-42 to 42 or something like that, and that's going to be fun to watch. So back and forth all game. 45-42 may even be low. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're definitely right. I mean, it, we could see like 1,500 yards of offense in that game. Hayden, you mentioned that um, Penn State-Arkansas game, and it you know, kind of depended on which Penn State offense shows up. You could argue the same about Arkansas. You know, they got sh- oh, yeah, you're right. shut, out, shut out and waxed by Georgia, and then, you know, two would have been three weeks ago now, put up 35 points and almost beat Alabama, so... That that is a very interesting game as well. I had Michigan State and Pitt written down here. I thought it was going to be a shootout too, but as I was driving home from work, I heard that Kenny Pickett might not actually play in this game because you know of all obviously the risk of injury. Uh, they're not playing for a national championship or anything, and then the loss of their offensive coordinator also to Nebraska, like we mentioned. Are, is you know kind of the reasons why he's weighing this option now, and he's going to be you know one of the first two quarterbacks taken in the NFL draft this next year. So that could kind of 
devalue this game, but either way, I still think it's going to be a shootout. Yeah, I think uh, Wally could probably throw for 400 yards against Michigan State, so not not too worried about that one. I played one snap at quarterback in practice in high school, and it was kind of electric. So that's all I'll leave that all you need to know out there. Yeah, also, so this is the first time that Pat Narduzzi plays Michigan State, too. Pat Narduzzi was the longtime defensive coordinator at Michigan State before he took the, the head job at Pitt. So that, that'll be another interesting storyline for this game. That's a great point, Casey. And we are going to talk a ton about these games in length here, probably that week before Christmas. So keep your eye on that. We'll make sure we have a bowl special. I, I'm only going to say one other game. I really don't know why, but I think that the Wisconsin and Arizona State game, especially as a nightcap, that'll be at 1030 for us on the East Coast. I love that because it's going to be what that is the 30th. So it's the day before the college football playoffs start. And I don't know if you guys agree, but I feel like the 29th or 30th is kind of like peak bowl season for me because you've already had a bunch of that lesser quality, the Sun Belt Mac kind of bowl games that got your, your beak wet. But in this stretch, it's like the start of four days of just awesome Power 5 football. And i that's going to be a great nightcap. And hopefully, you'd imagine, Wisconsin will probably win that game in, in a low-scoring battle. You guys good to wrap up then? Yeah, are we not going to dive into the... We can't. Well, I didn't know what we, how much we want to do now and how much we want to save. It's, I was kind of getting I say a feel save. for you guys. Okay. I say save it. Even though... This this point down here where you put uh, plus seven and a half is disrespectful. I I might be on the opposite side of that. Well, you changed your tune. You came out the initial day. You're like, put your life on Michigan. I know, but the more I've been thinking about it, I think everybody is going to say, put all your money on Michigan plus seven and a half because it's a lock, and then somehow it won't hit. I, I don't know. It's weird. If it was six and a half, I think I would avoid it with my money, but seven and a half, I just, it's not like Georgia's offense has done anything crazy. And we, I mean, if we do it here in the big 10, it's like, what has Iowa done all year? They're in the big 10 West. Oh, their defense looks great, but who are they playing? It's the same conversation. If they're, if in an alternate universe, the three of us are living down in the, the freaking swamps of Louisiana talking about the SEC, we'd be talking about Georgia very similarly to the way we're talking about Iowa. Defense is really great, but who they I play? don't think so. I don't think so, dude. Georgia has recruited in a different fucking universe as Iowa, so... I, you're right. I'm just saying that it's the SEC, I feel like, equivalent to what Iowa is. I mean, Georgia, every year, we put them on this pedestal, and then we get into the late November... And in the bowl games, and they disappoint year after year after year. I mean, you ain't, you're not wrong. Georgia is a cursed program, but I, <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, like, like, like Hayden, I don't think you're necessarily wrong, but also like Hayden said, you know, Georgia's recruited at an unbelievable level. The, the, the part in that game that, or for this Georgia team in general, really, is that I'm not a believer in Stetson Bennett at all. So, unless... Unless he's a lot better than I think he is, then you know I I would agree with your take, Wally. As to compare, who's better, Stenson Bennett or Cade McNamara? I feel like they're asked to do very similar things. Yeah, I I would too. And obviously, I don't really watch much of Georgia football throughout the year unless they're in a big game. And and that's maybe maybe that's why I'm 
not as impressed with Stetson Bennett because the only time I watch him, he's playing, you know, Alabama or another difficult SEC team. So maybe I should, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt. But, you know, I, I really can't answer that question. You're right. They're very similar in styles. I So this is my last thing I'll say, and then we can end this. I think Michigan and Georgia are like the same team. Just Georgia has recruited at a higher level, so they're naturally a little bit more athletic and, and fast and talented. But like the like they're built in the same way. You know what I'm saying? Hey, no, I would agree. I would agree with you. You know, Georgia obviously has recruited better than Michigan, but you can make an argument that Michigan has developed better than Georgia. You know, Nolan Smith was one of the top five recruits in the class, and I know he plays, but you don't really hear of him doing anything outstanding. Whereas Aiden Hutchinson was a just outside of the top 100. David Ajabo was, you know, just outside the top 300 too. So I understand what you're saying though. If Michigan is unable to run the ball or if Georgia gets up early, I think you could see the potential for Georgia to win and win handily and cover the spread then. It's just every time I feel like this year we go into a game and say, I think this is where Michigan's going to have a difficult time to run the ball. They've still been able to do it. So at this point, I, I'm going to just trust the history that we've seen this year and imagine it's going to be a close game. I I probably will pick Georgia to win, but I just don't think that a touchdown in, what, the extra half point, I mean, that's just, that just feels mighty disrespectful for a team that has done what Michigan has done this year. But that is going to bring us to the end of another episode of Pigskins and Nylon, brought to you by Tabbies.com, the world's best Delta 8 edible. We'll be back next week to break down another week of college basketball and perhaps some more coaching and recruiting news in football as well. If you like our podcast, make sure you share it and spread it around for your friends and family. Make sure to go and follow us on Twitter at P&NPod, Facebook at P&NPod, and Instagram also at P&NPod. We also will have that bull episode here in the coming weeks. You're going to want to look out for that. I know that these guys like me are going to be very excited and we're going to put a lot of work in for that one. But I want to ask you guys now, what do you want to leave our listeners with today? Buckle up for these next six days in recruiting are really going to take off, like I said, with this early signing day. Really excited for our, our bull preview show. I think that's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. My... Final tidbit is similar to Casey's. I've been I, I look forward to this day pretty much all year because it's one of my favorite days. But December fifteenth is the like early signing period, and actually it goes through the seventeenth, so it's like a two or three day window where people can sign and earlier than what it normally is. And you know I I've been on this train for a long long time that recruiting and recruiting top end talent is like the lifeline of all programs. And, you know, being an Ohio State fan, I've been blessed, you know, especially under Urban Meyer and Ryan Day, under their time, how just they're bringing in incredible amounts of talent. And, you know, I think, you know, some Ohio State fans are a little worried, myself included, about the way this class is going and losing some of these high-end guys. But I think, you know, in, in these coming days that Ohio State is going to get a couple guys that are high on their priority list. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing hopefully that happen this week, or I guess next week. It really is the best 50 days to be a college football fan from the end of November to that national championship game. There's so much going on between you have the rivalry weeks, championships, Army-Navy game, you have the early recruiting period, 
and then you have all the bowl games. This is, I mean, I don't know about you guys. This like you get fired up and ready to run through a freaking wall thinking about all the good bowl games and shit that's coming up here in the next month. And you guys being the recruiting experts that we have here, it's just it couldn't be better. Really couldn't. It's best time of year. Can I get paid for that title? A recruiting expert. Yeah, can, yeah, can the podcast paid me money? for that title? I was going to say, if we can find the person to give you the money, I gave you the title. Keep it. Put it on your badge at school. But anyways, guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you back here next Friday for another episode of Pigskins and Nylon.